0: This talk by Joan Sutherland called Wu Wei One, Effortless Action was given on April 24th, 2009 at Saragorda Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, it's really nice to be back here with you after a couple of weeks of me, Um In the midst of a great deal of activity, I've been thinking a lot about what the Taoists call wei wu wei, which is um, effortless action. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that tonight. And I think it picks up uh, a number of the threads of things we've been talking about over recent months. So... Um, effortless action. It's this really old Chinese idea that was in both Taoism and Confucianism from the very beginning, and got picked up in, in Buddhism, particularly in Chan and particularly in the Koan tradition. So it's very much a part of our, our heritage. Um, it's talked about as natural, spontaneous action, and it's also talked about as skillful action. So, how do you get good at effortlessness? This is a a pretty interesting question, and it seems to kind of come up over and over again in different forms. So I want to make some suggestions about how it might be possible to get good at effortlessness. And um, maybe first to to remind you of how much time you've spent in your life efforting, cultivating um, effort, how much time it took you to get educated, how much time it took you to yeah. unlearn most of what you learned by being educated. What you learned instead of that, um, how long it takes to get good a physical activity, how long it takes to figure out love, You know? Um, how long it takes to master an art. And all of that seems quite natural to us, that we would spend lots of time in our lives <clears throat> doing things that require um, application, require our attention and our perseverance. Yeah. So um, we could also turn that kind of um, energy and, and uh, sincerity and consistency toward effortlessness as well. So maybe one um, simple way to talk about what natural spontaneous action is, is in terms that we, we often speak of. And that has to do with the difference between a reaction and a response to something. When I say reaction, I'm not talking about the sort of instinctual reactions that you put your hand on something hot and you pull it away right away. I'm talking more about kind of thought reactions where something happens and you immediately have a thought reaction to it. You immediately have um, a judgment about it, an opinion about it, a feeling about it. And what happens a lot is that judgment or feeling or opinion um, becomes more compelling than whatever it is that's actually happening. So, all of a sudden, you're not in whatever the situation is in anymore. You're in a relationship with what you think about the situation, what you feel about the situation. And, um, you know, with a little bit of attention, we can see how often we do that and how much time we spend in a kind of primary relationship with our reactions to things rather than to the things themselves. So if that's a reaction, um, the most important aspect of it, I think, is the sort of overwhelming and um, unbalanced emphasis on the self, on the importance of the self. There's what's happening, and then there's what I think about it, and what I think about it is so important and so must be taken into account and so must be um, paid attention to. Um, that it just reinforces that sense of a separate self a self that is moving through circumstances and trying to navigate and figure out how how we feel about it and I think probably you know, most of us know that sometimes that way of being is really lonely you know, it's really alienating it's, it can feel um, embattled or um, just just lonely, just alone. Um, <clears throat> our response, in contrast, isn't fundamentally centered in the self and what the self thinks about things. Our response is where we don't move from what's actually happening to this second order of experience, i.e. what we think about what's happening, but we kind of stay with what's actually happening. And we don't separate ourselves out from what's actually happening. We are part of what's actually happening. So there isn't that sense of um, distance or separation or alienation. There's more a sense of of participation in, uh, of being part of what's going on. And when we can do that, um, the, the... English writer and philosopher Iris Murdoch had a wonderful term for it. She called it being unselfed. If a reaction is a sort of um, reinforcement of the self, a response unselfs us in a really good way in the sense that we're not center stage, we're not the protagonist in the drama. Um, It's not all about me and how I feel about it. But there's a sense of participating in something larger and a curiosity about um, how does the whole situation feel about it? You know, what's, what's happening in the field? Um, how can I participate in that? So one of the ways we've talked about that recently is <clears throat> when, when um, coming into a situation or noticing that we're in a situation, instead of asking the self questions like, how do I feel about this? What do I think about this? What do I need to do about this? What do I need to fix? All of the I, 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 I kinds of things. Um, to instead ask two simple, unselfed questions, which are um, what wants to be enjoyed here and what needs to be attended to. So the emphasis is on the situation. The emphasis is on the whole field. What is there something that wants enjoying Is there something that needs attending to? That's that's a response Um, and when we come like that when we don't allow ourselves to be separate it out and take it into the side room with our opinions, you know, the door closed, okay, so now we need to really talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, when, we, when we allow ourselves to stay in, then what happens is this really amazing thing where our response arises not out of that kind of tight, constricted, habitual, boring place, but from the field as a whole. So it's as though the whole field is responding to what's happening and that response is moving through us and will move through us and come out our hands in some way. We will um, participate in some particular way as a result of being connected to what the situation wants, what the situation feels about what's happening. So, um, <clears throat> I hope that gives you, a, you know, just a little bit of a sense of what natural and spontaneous means. Uh, and another aspect of it that we've talked about in recent months is um, when we were looking at the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which talks about how we have to act and we also have to be unattached to the fruits of our action. So, we act... And once we act, we're done. That's it. The Tao Te Ching, which is an old Taoist classic, says, um, do your work, then step back. The only way to serenity. So you do what you need to do. You make the action, and then you step back. And you and you let it work. Um, and that's a peaceful life, according to Taoists. To so um, that's an important part of it, is that so often when we're selfed, when we're um, sort of in a situation for our own reasons and purposes, which can be negative as well as positive, um, we have we have such giant agendas, whether we you know them or not, about what ought to be happening and what the outcome ought to be and what a good outcome would be and um, what will make us feel comfortable and how the world needs to be for us to be comfortable and um, what I want and what I deserve. What's appropriate? All that good stuff. Huge, huge, huge agendas. So the Bhagavad Gita suggests something else, which is, you know, you do it. You do the best you can, and then and you don't have an agenda about what needs to happen. And I think you know, those of us who've been Who've been doing this a while, you know, one of the things you really develop is a sense of the futility of having any 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 real fixed idea about the way things ought to be or how things ought to go or what a good outcome is. That's so that's so likely to change, that's so likely to be different and usually bigger than it looks from the perspective of the self. So one of the things that Wei Wu Wei is about is giving up a small perspective, giving up the constricted idea of what ought to happen, and allowing things to get much bigger because we recognize that much more than our than our individual selves are participating. It's a much more complicated, rich picture. So, um, fortunately, we don't have to do it all ourselves. Fortunately, we're all doing it together. <clears throat> Okay, so <clears throat> maybe one way to think about um, becoming skillful at effortlessness is to notice when we're being selfed, when we're acting selfed, and when we're allowing ourselves to be unselfed. To notice what the habits of um, distance and alienation are. What And, and a sort of dharmic way, you know, technical way of talking about that is to notice what do we do that reinforces the sense of the self and what do we do that allows the sense of the self to get kind of porous and spacious and much bigger. That's, that's just a really good way of looking at <clears throat> what we're doing and what its effect is. So then there's a kind of deconstruction we do of those habits of alienation, those habits of reinforcing the self. We just keep noticing and noticing and noticing. And we keep trying something else, um, catching it as quickly as we can and doing something else instead. So that's the first part, this kind of deconstructive part, the part where we notice our habits. And then the second part, um, which is tremendously important is to notice where our allegiance is. Is your allegiance to the agenda? Is your allegiance to your preconceived ideas about how things ought to be or how they ought to go? Is that where your allegiance is to that construction and reinforcement and endless iteration of the self that all of that means? Or is your allegiance towards something larger than that, something that um, the Taoist called the Tao, the way things are, the way things are moving? So, Way Way is um, equally about finding how you move into the stream of the Tao, how you work with it rather than um, thinking that things are about imposing our will, making things happen in a certain way. Instead, we look for um, what's the big picture? What's the big flow of things? How are the currents going? And is there a way that we can work with and go with that? Um, <clears throat> that's not a passive thing. That's not just a matter of kind of finding where the currents flow and lying down on it and going. It takes a lot of um, takes a lot of attention and discernment to really kind of try to see which way things are going. Because of that tendency we have to jump immediately into how we think things ought to be going or how we like things to be going. We just we keep improving the picture on it. But if we um, if we don't, then you know we might try things like sitting down a couple of times a day for half an hour, and just listening, just listening, just paying attention, just noticing, not imposing any agenda, not having any big idea about things, but letting them come to us. When we when we sink down in meditation, one of the beautiful things that happen is that things start to swim up towards us to meet us. And um, I would encourage you not to shoo them away, you know, but to listen, to pay attention to those things that swim up and ask for our attention. So, looking for the currents, looking, for, trying to understand. How's it going? What's the great what is right here? You know? How is the great what is manifested right now? How can I align myself with that? Rather than come in with some agenda or idea that is completely separate from it, completely artificial in comparison. <clears throat> um, we, we have talked over the years about the Rio, Abajo Rio, the river under the river. And that's what the Tao is really. It's that river always flowing underneath everything that we can forget about, but that's always there and that we can always touch, we can always put our feet in that river and ask, how's it going? What's happening? What's the field? What's the big picture? How do I participate? Not how do I bend to my will, um, but how do I participate in what's going on? And the more we do that, the more we begin to feel this kind of natural shift of allegiance from the agenda of the self to participation in this uh, larger sense of things. Um, How beautiful that is, you know, what a kind of relief. not lonely it is to do that when there's that sense of, you know, as Buddhism says, everything arising together, everything connected. If we take, you know, how seriously do we take that, you know? What would it be like to take that really seriously, that everything really does arise together, that everything really is connected, that we are part of something very large very complicated and completely incapable of deciphering completely. So stop. Don't try. That's not the point. But how can we participate fully, as fully as we can in it? Um, So, effortless action. Um, How do we notice the habits that alienate us? How do we allow our allegiance to shift from the small and constricted space of the self into the larger space of the self when the sense of the self grows larger and includes much more, includes a field? And how do we, rather than impose what we think and make things happen, how can we participate in what is happening? So I'll stop there and um, be glad to take any comments (coughs) or questions you might have. Thank you. Thank you. you. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at John